0: Well, if you take your Bibles, turn along with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, where we find the Lord's Prayer, or well, what could be called the Disciples' Prayer, for the Lord intended it for all of His disciples to pray in this way, to pray along these lines. This is a model prayer for us. A model prayer consisting of six separate petitions that can be divided into two equal parts of three petitions each. The first set of three petitions, as we have seen, is focused upon God and his glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The focus here is on God's name, his rule, and his will. Which puts us as his disciples in the right frame of mind, putting God's first, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and then trusting all these things to be added unto us. The second set of three petitions is focused upon requests for the meeting of our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here the focus is on our needs, our physical need for food, clothing, and other daily necessities, our spiritual need of forgiveness, and finally, as we'll see today, our need of protection and deliverance from our spiritual foes. The part of the prayer that we looked at together last week, the prayer for God to forgive us our sins, our debts, is a confession of and a seeking of forgiveness for past sins. Sins of yesterday. Sins of this morning that has already passed. But any real confession of sin always involves biblical repentance, which is a change of mind about sin. A change of mind that demonstrates in a change of our actions and our attitudes towards sin. So that as we confess sins of the past, we also desire to avoid sin in the future. And so this fifth petition, forgive us our sin, flows perfectly into the sixth and final petition that we'll look at this morning together. Lead us not into temptation. Any true confession of sin will always desire and seek future avoidance of sin. So, in this sixth and final petition of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, just how are we to understand this last petition? Lead us not into temptation. Many have struggled to understand this correctly. And because of it, they have misunderstood that it can sound like God is out there every day just leading us into temptation. Ha, watch this one. I've set a snare for him. I've set a a trap for her. Rounding us up like some kind of cosmic cowboy. Driving us one by one into the cattle chute. Where our capture by temptation is inevitable. But that is not <laughs> what Jesus is teaching us here. Far from it. So, let us read the Lord's Prayer once more. I'll read it for us this morning. You can read along silently there in your seat. Matthew 6, 9-13. Let me read it for us. Pray then, Jesus says, in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, mercy, and kindness toward us. We thank you that you have not only provided for us salvation, but you have shown us the way to grow in that salvation. And your Son, Jesus, has not only purchased our salvation, but he has also taught us how to pray. Lord, help us to give heed to his words here. Help us to understand rightly what he has said and what he has taught. Lord, that we may pray more effectively, and Lord, that we may battle our spiritual foes more effectively as well. We ask this in Jesus' name today, amen. So we're going to see this morning three observations that should inform our prayers for spiritual protection. What we have here this morning is a a prayer request for spiritual protection and deliverance. Spiritual protection and deliverance. And we're going to see three observations that should help inform these prayers for spiritual deliverance and protection. All right, the first observation we can see that comes to us from this verse in uh, Matthew 6, verse 13, do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil, is this. It is good and right to confess that it is the Father who ever leads us. It is good and right to confess that it is the Father, God the Father, who ever leads us. Jesus teaches us here, indirectly, that it is the Father who always leads us. In asking for the Father to not lead us into temptation, we see that it is the Father who ever leads us and directs our steps. He is always the one who is behind the scenes, leading us, guiding us, directing us. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Aren't you thankful for that? We come up with our plans, our best laid plans, but it is the Lord who directs our steps. Lamentations 3.37 says, Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? The Lord is the one who's in sovereign control over all things. The Lord is reigning and ruling from His throne in heaven. And He directs all the affairs of men. Joseph's brothers, you remember Joseph in Genesis, Joseph's brothers acted with hateful wickedness toward him And yet Joseph could see in hindsight that God had used even their evil intentions to accomplish his perfect plans, to accomplish good. God was behind the scenes. He was behind the scene. What we can see, God was directing things leading Joseph down to Egypt through the evil actions and intentions of his brothers in order to bring about the rescue of God's people from famine and ultimately the rescue of God's promise to bring a Redeemer from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what Joseph said in Genesis 45.5, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, brothers, These brothers who have sold him into slavery, Joseph has since risen through the ranks of power from literally being imprisoned to being the second most powerful man in the nation, just shy of Pharaoh. He says, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves, brothers, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. You were intending evil. You meant... Ill will for me, but I know that God was behind all that and he had a purpose in it and he sent me here to fulfill that purpose. God sent me here. Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. From Genesis to Revelation, we learn that God is sovereign over all things. Even over the evil actions and intentions of others. And God's sovereignty encompasses every aspect of our lives as well. God is sovereignly directing our steps. This prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray has this truth as its foundation that God is the director of steps. That God is the leader of our lives. If it weren't the case that God is sovereign and in control, then it would be futile to pray for His intervention, wouldn't it? If God's not in control, if He's not all-powerful, if He's not sovereign, then why pray to Him? He can't change things anyway. Why pray to a God who does not rule over all things? For his will may very well be overruled by some greater power or purpose. The very truth that God is all powerful and sovereign provides the very basis for our praying. We pray knowing the one we pray to has all power and all authority to act and answer in accord with his will. And so we pray. I love what J.I. Packer said in his classic book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, about prayer and God's sovereignty. I do not intend to spend any time at all proving to you the general truth that God is sovereign in his world. There is no need, for I know that if you are a Christian, you pray. And the recognition of God's sovereignty is the basis of your prayers. In prayer, you ask for things and give thanks to God. Why? Because you recognize that God is the author and source of all the good that you have had already and all the good that you hope for in the future. This is the fundamental philosophy of Christian prayer. The prayer of a Christian is not an attempt to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of helplessness and dependence. Because the Lord is all powerful and sovereign, we know that He is in control of our lives. And because he's also good, we know that we can trust him with our lives. We can trust him with all the various circumstances of our lives. As Christians who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, we know that God is our shepherd and that he leads us into and through the various circumstances of life for our good. Psalm 23, the most well-known psalm. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. Shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here he is. He's the shepherd leading, guiding, directing the sheep. Even through our worst case scenarios, God is still our faithful shepherd, leading us, guiding us, protecting us, directing us. Psalm 23 goes on. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's a worst case scenario. Even there, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Their presence is a comfort to me. You're with me. You're directing me, even in my worst case scenario. And of course, we know that Jesus taught us that he too is our good shepherd. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here we have a picture in the scriptures of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved in leading, guiding, and protecting us. The Godhead directs our steps. And so I put Father in the point because that's what Jesus teaches us to pray, right? Father, lead us not into temptation, even as we know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always operate in perfect harmony with each other, in perfect concert with each other, in union and unity with one another, as they are one in essence, but three in person. So the first thing we can learn from the sixth and final petition of the Lord's Prayer is that it is good and right to confess that it is God who ever leads us. And so we pray, Father, lead us. That's a good prayer to pray every day, right? Father, lead us. Lead us as our good shepherd. And that brings us to the second observation. So the second observation is built on top of the foundation of the first observation. That God is sovereign. He's the one who leads us. And we ought to look for Him to lead us. We ought to ask Him to lead us in the right way. All right, secondly, it is good and right to pray for the avoidance of temptation. It is good and right to pray for the avoidance of temptation. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, lead us. But notice He teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now this is where things can get tricky if we don't understand this verse rightly. If we misunderstand what Jesus is saying here, we may come away thinking that the Father might tempt us with sin and that we should pray and ask Him not to tempt us to sin. But that is not what Jesus is teaching us here. Not at all. God never tempts anyone to sin. Never has, never will. Never, never, never. God is not in the temptation business. That has been outsourced <laughs> to someone else. James 1.13 makes this abundantly clear for us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Can't say that. I'm being tempted by God. Nope. No, you're not. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Is anyone here today? Raise your hand if you're here today. If you're absent, you can just keep your hand down. Anyone is you. He himself does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt anyone. But each one is each one. Again, that's all of us. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Don't blame God for this. Look in the mirror. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, his own sinful, fallen desires. Here in Matthew 6.13, the word that is used for temptation is a word that can mean either testing or temptation. Testing is in a trial or temptation to sin. The Greek word is perasmos. Testing is a test of faith that stretches us and that both reveals and strengthens the quality of our faith. That's a testing, a trial. And James uses it this way, the same word. James 1, 2 to 3 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Same word used in Matthew 6 13, trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we should count it all joy when we go through a trial, even though that's hard to do, but we understand and we trust a sovereign God who's always good and who always has our good in mind that he is bringing about good things for us. He is producing in us endurance and a host of other spiritual fruits, which will be for our good and for his glory for all eternity. So we count it joy, knowing he's in charge, knowing he's in control, knowing he's good, even when we're tested, even when we're going through a trial. Same word used here. But this word can also have a more negative sense. That's the positive sense of testing resulting in strengthening and growth and approving of what is true and right and good. The same word can also refer more negatively to temptation as an enticement to sin. Same word that James uses positively of counting it all joy when we encounter various trials and testings in James 1, 2 to 3 is used more negatively of temptation in verses 13 and 14 of James 1 of the same chapter. Let me read that for you. Okay, so we count it all joy when we experience testing and trial, knowing that God's at work in that. James 1:13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and He Himself does not tempt anyone. Again, same word. Different usage. Different connotation. So which meaning, now back to Matthew 6, which meaning does the word have in the Lord's Prayer? Is it looking at a trial? A testing of our faith? A difficult circumstance that's going to grow us? Or is it looking at Temptation to sin, an inducement to sin, an enticement to sin. Well, I believe the second line of this prayer in Matthew 6.13 helps us to interpret the first line. That's a hermeneutical principle, by the way, that the clearer text helps to interpret the less clear text. Some texts of Scripture are clearer than others, and those are to be leaned on more heavily than the texts that are less clear. And those clearer texts help us to understand rightly the less clear texts. And that's what I think is going on here. That's a helpful hermeneutical principle to apply here. Jesus here is using a Semitic parallelism. Sometimes when we're in the Psalms, we talk a lot about Hebrew parallelism which is uh, saying the same thing in slightly different ways. You say it one way, and then you say it another way. In the first clause, you say it one way. In the second clause, you say it a slightly different way. But they are parallel meanings. They're saying the same thing using slightly different language to get to the same destination. That's what's happening here in Matthew 6.13, I believe. Jesus is using similar clauses to say similar things. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The two clauses are complementary. The first clause is saying the same thing negatively. The second clause is saying the same thing positively. Father, please don't do this, but instead do that. So the second, clearer clause helps us to determine the meaning of the first clause, and in particular, the meaning of that word. Is it testing or trial, or is it temptation? And therefore, I think the more likely meaning is, in fact, lead us not into temptation. Now, having said that, you'll note that the text does not say, Father, do not tempt us. Not at all. It says, do not lead us into temptation. The idea is, do not lead us into a situation or circumstance that will be a temptation for us. Careful readers of Matthew's gospel will remember that just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus himself was tempted by the devil, right? So you've got your Bibles open there. Matthew 6, you're in. You can just go back a page or two to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 1. We looked at this as well when we looked at uh, the request for our daily bread. You remember that. Matthew 4, verse 1, says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this. Notice that Jesus was led up by the Spirit to temptation? Not directly, no. He was led up by the Spirit to where? The wilderness. The wilderness just happens to be the place where the temptation occurred. The circumstances, the situation under which the temptation occurred. The Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness. Very instructive for us. Matthew 4 is clear on who is the one doing the leading and who is the one doing the tempting. God is doing the leading and the devil is doing the tempting. He's even nicknamed in this verse, the tempter, right? God led Jesus into the wilderness, but Satan was the one doing all the tempting. And so it is in our life as well. God is leading, ever leading in our lives, but it is the devil who does all the tempting. Now, how does Jesus's temptation in chapter four relate to this prayer? We're taught to pray by Jesus in chapter six. Jesus is teaching us to pray that God would not lead us into the arena of temptation. Into circumstances and events that will serve as a great temptation for us. Jesus is teaching us to pray instead that God would help us to stay far away from temptation. We pray this knowing that we do not have the holy resolve that Jesus had. Can you go toe to toe with the devil himself? Would you ever think that that was a good idea? But this is what God had for Jesus to prove him, to show him, to show all. That he is who he claimed to be, the son of God, the sinless one. We pray, lead us not in temptation. Lead us not the way you led Jesus into the wilderness to meet the devil. We're not ready for that. We can't handle that. We're not up for that. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. the wilderness that proved to be the arena of Christ's great temptation. When it comes to the gladiatorial arena of temptation, unlike Jesus, we are weak gladiators. (laughs) So we pray, Lord, keep us out of the arena. We don't say, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fight. Bring the devil on. No, we say, Lord, I'm, I'm perfectly fine sitting on the bench on this one. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus is the only undefeated champion against temptation, right? Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus endured temptation in all things, <laughs> Every category of sin, of great sin, Jesus endured that temptation successfully, was victorious over it, and never sinned. And you think about it, Jesus, the temptation he endured was far greater than anything you and I will ever face, ever. First of all, Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. I doubt anyone in here has ever been tempted by the devil himself. By his minions, yes. Yes. But not by the devil himself. The devil has bigger fish to fry than you or I. But Jesus was tempted by the devil himself, the tempter. We're tempted by lesser adversaries of demonic forces and, yes, our own flesh. And think about it, too. Jesus always resisted temptation. Always and never gave into it, which means he felt the maximum draw and pull of the temptation before it subsided. We often give into temptation quickly without ever experiencing that maximum draw or pull of that temptation. The meter, you know, barely moves and we find ourselves in sin. Jesus experienced the full tilt of that temptation and yet never succumbed Jesus is the only undefeated champion against temptation and so given what we know about our own weakness in the face of temptation we're to pray for the Lord to lead us not into temptation lead us not into the arena of temptation this prayer then is a prayer of humility of humble confession of our susceptibility to sin and our weakness in the face of temptation. We know this to be true. We know it doctrinally and we know it experientially. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Direct my steps away from temptation. Not just direct my steps away from sin, but direct my steps away from temptation leading to sin. Don't let me get even close to sin. And therefore, don't let me get close to temptation. For knowing my heart, where there is temptation, sin will not be far behind. So keep me far from temptation's door. That's the prayer. Proverbs four fourteen and 15 says, Do not enter into the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by. Turn away from it. Pass on. That's what it says. That's not me expressing this in a variety of ways. That's literally what it says. Proverbs four fourteen and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Do not pass go. Do not collect $100. Don't do it. Stay away. Temptation comes at you. You go the other direction. You flee from it. I think that is illustrated vividly in Proverbs chapter 7 with the temptation to sexual sin. I want you to turn to Proverbs 7 with me real quick. I want you to see this illustrated in the life of a hypothetical young man who sadly is not just hypothetical. Proverbs 7, verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Keep wisdom close like family. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. Be wise here. Listen to wisdom. Verse 5, Proverbs 7, 5. That they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice. Okay, picture in your eye what's going on here. He's inviting you to do that. This is a movie playing out in the mind. He, He looks out the window and he sees a scene forming a young man lacking sense. Verse 7, I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house. Well, that's a foolish route, isn't it? I'm just going to get a little closer look. So he goes by her corner and he takes the way to her house. Verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. Not only is he taking a foolish route, he's doing it at a a foolish time. Nothing good is going to happen here. Verse 10, and behold, a woman comes to meet him. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. And she is boisterous and rebellious and her feet do not remain at home. She's now in the streets, now in the squares and lurks by every corner. She's everywhere, it seems. She's not hard to find. Verse 13, so she seizes him and kisses him. Ah, the trap is set and he's captured. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows, therefore I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. At the full, moon he'll come home with her many persuasions she entices him with her flattering lips she seduces him suddenly look at this verse 22 suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Now, Proverbs 7 is all about the adulterous woman and all about sexual immorality and the great temptation that lies there, but it serves as a vivid illustration of temptation in general. This is how it gets us. So to pray, lead us not in temptation, is to acknowledge and confess our fleshly weakness in the face of temptation, to ask God to keep us far from temptation's door. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain a similar prayer. Bring me not into situations that are too hard for me. <laughs> Lord, you know what I can take and you know what I can't. Lord, keep me away from all that stuff I can't handle. To pray, lead us not in temptation is to confess, Lord, I am weak and frail and prone to wander. Keep me close to you and keep me far away from sin. Of course, the Bible teaches us that even when we are tempted and we will be tempted, even our best attempts to avoid temptation and sin are going to be at times overcome by the reality of living in a fallen world, in fallen bodies with flesh that tempts us and with a spiritual unseen enemy that tempts us and a culture that is always tempting us. We're going to be tempted, but the Bible teaches us that even when we are tempted, that giving into that temptation is not a given. It's not a certainty, for God has promised that even in the midst of temptation, deliverance through dependence on Him is still possible 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. Now that's a wonderful promise, but it's no excuse for saying, bring on the temptation, I can take it. Because of our weakness and frailty, yielding to temptation is always a possibility. Is it not? Church, say amen. Amen. Thank you, that's encouraging. Better to not be tempted at all than to be tempted and possibly fall. Thus the prayer, lead us not into temptation. In Gethsemane, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray that they might not experience temptation. It's not wrong to pray this. Jesus not only commanded it here in the Lord's Prayer, but he demonstrated it with his disciples. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 40, Jesus in Gethsemane, he's facing the cross. He wants to spend time with his disciples in prayer. And he he, he arrived at the place and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into what? Temptation. A few verses later, he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. They needed to be praying, but they were sleeping. Now, why were they sleeping? Well, it was the middle of the night, so I'm sure they were tired. That's a physical reality. But spiritually speaking, they were overconfident. They thought they could do anything and and could could fight and deal with any temptation. They were spiritually overconfident, which is called pride. Listen to what it says in Matthew 26, 31. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. This is the same night, the same night as they were sleeping, right? This happened previous. Jesus is in the upper room and he says, look, you're all gonna fall away from me tonight, this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But listen to what they say. But Peter said to him, Matthew 26, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I got this, Jesus. You are wrong. Now, these guys, these guys are slackers. These guys, I've lived with them for three years. I agree with you, Jesus. They're going to run away, but not this guy. I'm your guy, Jesus. I've got your back always, ever, and only. So Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. They're just going to deny me once. You're going to do it three times. How's that? Tough guy. Peter said to him, Even and this is what Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Yeah, what Peter said. Even if we die, we will die for you, Jesus. We will never deny you. It's less than 24 hours, and they're all running like cowards. So Jesus says in Matthew 26:41. Keep watching and praying with me, brothers. Stay in the game, brothers. That you Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. I hear your spirit. <laughs> Points for spirit. Good cheer. But your flesh is weak. And, of course, we know it happened just as Jesus said it would. So this prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray is a confession that while our spirits may be willing to do the right thing in the midst of temptation, our flesh is weak and prone to sin. And so this prayer is a prayer for God to protect us from all future sin. Lord, keep me far from sin. Keep me far from sin by keeping me far from temptation. And temptations lure. What a wonderful thing to pray each day. Lord, keep me from sin. And don't just keep me from sin, but keep me away even from the temptation to sin. Because the outcome is not guaranteed. And that brings us to our final observation this morning. Thirdly, it is good and right to pray for deliverance from evil. This one will go faster. Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we've already seen, these two clauses are not separate and individual, stating two separate requests. They are s- stating the same request, but in different ways. Negatively it says, do not lead us in temptation. Positively, it's stated. Deliver us from evil. Just as it is good and right to ask the Father to lead us not into temptation, so it is good and right to ask the Father to deliver us from evil. To deliver someone is to rescue them from danger. It is to rescue someone from a fate they cannot escape on their own. They are in a perilous circumstance and unless someone intervenes, they are a goner. We need rescue. We need deliverance, spiritually speaking. Rescue and deliverance from the guilt and judgment of our sin and rescue and deliverance in the face of temptation to sin. Taken together, these two clauses of verse 13 have the effect of saying, lead us not into temptation, but so lead us that we may be rescued from evil. Evil here may be either the more general term for evil or the more personal designation of the evil one. Some of your texts may refer to that, and some of them may have a note that says evil or the evil one. Indeed, that same word is translated to evil one in John 17, 15. When Jesus prays for his disciples, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. That's how it's translated there. Either way, whether it's deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one, the meaning is clearly the same. The evil one is the father of all evil. So if you have the one, you've got the other. So there really isn't a major difference between evil or evil one. The prayer is the same either way. Deliver us from the evil one and from all evil. I love how the Reformation Heritage Study Bible summarizes the teaching on this verse. It says, This verse requests protection from situations exposing our spiritual weakness and for rescue from the power of sin and Satan. That's it. That's verse 13. Ultimately, we know the Lord is going to one day finally and completely answer this prayer of ours to be delivered from all evil. Revelation 20.10 says the devil on that last day, the day of judgment, that great day, the devil who deceived was thrown into the lake of fire and night forever and ever. The prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil's days are numbered. Numbered by the Lord, our deliverer from evil and the evil one. Furthermore, Revelation 21.3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, death a result of sin and disobedience and temptation. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. This prayer, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. God is going to answer it resolutely, finally, fully on that last great day. Until then, until that great day, we pray as Jesus taught us. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the master teacher. Help us to learn from you. Help us to learn from you today in your word. To learn that you are the director of our steps. That You're sovereign over all things and that you're daily leading us. Help us to learn today that this prayer that you lead us not into temptation is a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of confession of our weakness and of our dependence upon you, of how weak and needy we are, of how prone to wander we are. Keep us out of the arena of temptation. Keep, keep us far away temptation that that might keep us far away from sin. And Lord, we pray, as you instructed us, deliver us from evil. There's evil all around us. Evil on our left, evil on our right. Evil before us and evil behind us. But Lord, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We thank you for this great and glorious truth that you are a deliverer from evil and from the condemnation that goes along with evil. And you are a deliverer from the evil one. You will one day cast him Into the eternal pit of hell. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that one day evil will be vanquished once and for all. The battle is already won, the future is already certain, the devil's defeat is already sure. In the meantime, we pray, deliver us from evil, guard our steps, direct our paths into truth, beauty, goodness, wisdom, and righteousness. We ask it for your name's sake. Amen.